Mm-hmm. You want to kick us off? Yeah. Thanks, guys, for listening. Uh, check us out on Instagram and uh, leave us a comment. And uh, Owen, we definitely want to say thank you. That's Owen Martin uh, for your feedback on our podcast. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with you. Like we we kind of need to maybe disagree with each other a little bit more and dig in some. So we actually do try mm-hmm. to disagree with one another. Yeah. I just think you're such a great guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole thing. Maybe we'll get into that whenever we start the podcast, because uh, there's some interesting things in that area, too, as far as argument and how to discussion and disagreeing and what that looks like. Mm, OK, but uh, but we thank you guys. You're awesome. And yeah. Thanks for listening. Shoot. Yeah. On to the episode. On to it. It comes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger. Okay. <laughs> now. Now we can. Off to the shores. Cheers to the shores. To the shores. Mm. Okay. This might be an interesting one. Yeah. So I've Matt got screwed everything up. I've last got week. the COVID brain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you got COVID uh, a week or so more ago. Uh huh. Yeah. It finally happened. Uh huh. I was I was kind of excited to be honest. <laughs> it's like it's finally happening. <laughs> how was it though? I mean, what, did you just was it pretty mild or? Intense? You know, I don't know how to say. It. Like it was. It was not as mild as I would have hoped. Like, I think the part of me that was working really hard to take care of myself over the last 18 months was hoping that if I ever got it, it'd just be like, whatever, you know, (laughs) I'd like (laughs) test Uh positive and feel nothing. Uh Um, No, I mean, I definitely was sick. Mm -hmm. Um, It started like on a, on a Tuesday night or something. And all of a sudden my brain was just kind of not firing right. And I knew something was up. And actually my kids had tested positive already. So I knew it was probably coming. And then the next morning I tested positive and really just kind of felt a bit foggy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third day got a fever and that fever lasted three, three and a half days. And really that part of it was just kind of like a, like a regular, you just, you know, you're sick, you have a fever, you lay around. Um, the unique part of it is like this brain fog which made, made it really hard to do the things that I normally want to do, which is like, if I'm not, you know, if I'm having to be laid up, mm-hmm. like I want to read a book, um, or write or, um, use my, <laughs> use my brain. <laughs> uh-huh. And I couldn't really do that. I couldn't, I couldn't, um, like I couldn't concentrate when I tried to read or mm-hmm. to do anything that it was engaging. And then the other weird symptom that I had was this like, uh, kind of intense muscle soreness for three days. Hmm. Very strange. I've never really experienced anything like it. <clears throat> it was almost as if like you work out really hard and your, your muscles are sore and you, but you know that they're sore, <clears throat> they're sore when you try to move them or use them. And then mm-hmm. if you stretch, you kind of get that unique muscle soreness pain mm-hmm. and it hurts, but it also feels good because you know, you're stretching it, mm-hmm. but it's like that pain without stretching it and it doesn't go away. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's almost like the, <clears throat> the, um, persistence of it changes that from a good feeling to a kind of a miserable feeling. Hmm. So that lasted a couple of days. Um, and then everything cleared up, fever cleared up. And for the last several days, um, num- last number of days, I've, 
the, the brain fog has kind of persisted. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm, I'm in the clear. So it happened. And, yeah. that, and now I've got those antibodies and... And you're going to get fired. (laughs) No, I'm still going to get get fired. Even though, by the numbers, apparently, my immunity is 13 times better than the vaccinations. Yeah. But still, you didn't conform. (laughs) But still, that was the real sin. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I haven't haven't complied. Uh, Complied, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But you didn't lose your taste, so that's kind of cool. I did not lose my taste. I was really excited about that. Yeah. I was... was, uh, from the people that I know that lost their taste, uh, that sounds really miserable, like unexpectedly miserable. Yeah. I mean, Allison still is, I mean, it's been three months now and she still hasn't got her full. Taste That's back. crazy. Yeah. Well, yeah. And she was telling me how much she realized that smell and taste are like a, um, like a, a sort of body health emergency alert kind of system. Mm-hmm. Like your ability to smell if food is sour or mm-hmm. taste if it's bad. Yeah. Like her awareness of that being gone uh-huh. made me just think how much of like a, a deep fundamental like protection that is, our yeah. ability to smell and taste. Like it's not just pleasure. Mm-hmm. You know, the lack of the, the, the pleasure being gone would be really terrible. Yeah. But you don't really consider the, the protection that it's giving you at the same time. Totally. Like bitter usually means something's uh, poisonous and yeah. Right. Uh, that's the truth. Yeah. So anyway, here we are. And you're on the other side. On the other side. Uh-huh. I don't know how many cylinders I've got firing. So I don't know how interesting this conversation will be. <laughs> I don't know how many cylinders I have. I don't know. What do I normally have? Straight six. Straight six. V8. 12. <laughs> 12. I, I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? I don't even have my car. So. <laughs> I'm, I'm down. I'm down uh-huh. a number. Yeah. It's like era. No, no, I have no analogies car wise. Yeah. But maybe I'm, maybe in my semi compromised state, it's like some kind of truth serum. Oh. Like you, you could just ask me anything and I'll just, <laughs> just go with it. I don't have the mental fortitude to protect myself. <laughs> yeah. I can't argue against that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I want to get that one thing where, uh, kind of in the intro before we, before we started. Uh, I've been thinking about this cause, uh, uh, I really want to talk to Elliot's class, economics class. Hmm. And I was just thinking like, how, what are the most important things to talk about? Uh, and so I started going through all the things that you and I talk about a lot and conversations that are kind of grounded in some really fundamental things that you and I have sort of, sort of agreed upon, or at least are, is, is in the back of our minds, uh, as, as basic axioms, you know, like, um, I, I would say one is like sort of that, that paradoxical place of knowing who you are and also not knowing who you are. Like I know you, Matt, but also don't know you, Matt. And it's like, there's, there's that paradoxical place and that's kind of, again, the shores, you know, it's like the Island is what you know and the ocean is what you don't know. And mm-hmm. there's this paradoxical space of the, of the shores It's in the in between, you know? So I was thinking about that and I was just like, it's like, okay, was that? And then, and then I was, I think of our analogy of like how we set the table, you know, whenever mm-hmm. we have a, we set up an argument, we move things around on the table and say, okay, what do you think about that? And then you move some stuff around. Yeah, maybe, maybe elaborate that analogy. Okay. Cause we haven't used that one in a while. That's true. So it's basically like, you know, sometimes we just uh, metaphorically 
move things around on a table. Like we'll have a shot, uh, uh, a salt shaker. Um, we're usually at a restaurant or a pub or something, <laughs> usually a pub. It was at, uh, Fido's where this kind of came up where, you know, the sugar packets over here and a plate here and forks there. And you kind of like move it around and you kind of like, almost like placeholders for ideas. Mm-hmm. And like, and then you kind of arrange them in a certain way and you say, Hey, how, what do you think about this idea? Yeah. Um, and from this perspective and then, and then just metaphorically, we kind of move things around the table and you'll move it around. Well, how about from this angle? And what if you put this over here? Mm-hmm. And so, so we kind of use that metaphor of setting the table and it's not really a debate or an argument. It was like, we're, we're trying to get somewhere. And I, I kind of have, uh, an anticipation that you are approaching this in good faith and that we're both wanting to achieve something that is not about you or I being right or wrong, but it's about kind of coming to a better understanding of the truth or something that's outside of ourselves that we're trying to observe and that you have a subjective experience of that. And I have a subjective experience of that, but it's something outside of ourselves. That's objective. Um, that's worthwhile to engage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that there's actually something there to engage. Like, yeah. I think that's something we take as a basic axiom. Yeah. The, uh, the other way I think about that metaphor of setting the table is like, mm-hmm. <clears throat> we'll often come to a shared place and w- one of us or, or, you know, someone else in the group will, um, I might say, you know, I've got the, all these things I'm thinking about. I don't know really how to get into it. I don't know what to make of it. I don't really have any interesting points to make, but here, let me just sort of dump this all out on mm-hmm. the table these different thoughts and see what you can make of it, Mm -hmm. you know, see, see how you can organize these things that might, uh, you know, bring some sort of eureka moment or some sort of flow to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that always seems to be worthwhile and meaningful. Even if we don't come away with it, with, with some like new axiom or new, um, uh, you know, insight necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's like a really, a really meaningful process to sort through things mm-hmm. and see what they are and see how they relate to one another. Yeah. Especially someone else's things, someone mm-hmm. else's thoughts. Well, I think it's also been so much fun for you and I, especially, uh, cause I mean, over the years, it's like, as we've kind of interacted together with other people is, I feel like that's something that we, we really love to do. We like invite people, no, put it out on the table. Yeah. What do you have? Right. And then we kind of pick through it and like, oh, wow, okay, that's interesting. Like, how did you get that? Where'd you come from there? And so it's mm-hmm. like, it's not, it's not really about uh, proving somebody wrong, you know, or gotcha moments. It's, it's, it's more about how, why, where, okay, what does that mean, you know? Well, it's very similar to why we sit around tables in the first place. It's communal. Like, we eat around a table. Mm-hmm. I mean, partly kind of need the table, but partly there's something really powerful about the community of sitting around a table mm-hmm. and having that space for things to be set on that are to be shared. Mm. It works just as well for ideas as it does for food. Yeah. And generally when you sit and gather around a table in order to eat food is almost never the only thing shared. Mm-hmm. You share ideas, you share thoughts, you share laughter, you share pain. Yeah. And uncomfortableness. Some, <laughs> yeah. And uncomfortableness. <clears throat> yeah. And there's something about the existence of that table that facilitates it mm-hmm. becomes the stage. Yeah. So true. 
Yeah, it's like how, like all the rituals that are that are designed around feasting. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's like there's almost almost in every culture there's there's eating rituals. Uh, I can't think of anything that there wouldn't there isn't one. You know, it's like hmm. how does dancing fit into that? We'd have to sense. ask Allison. We'd have to ask Allison. <laughs> Where is she? <laughs> well, you know, because there is that there's that other element of of playing games together that seems somewhat inconsequential. Like you're not really, you know, whether it be like, uh, uh, spades or poker or, um, uh, a board game or something like that. There's like, you sort of gather and it's like, you're not really engaged in anything that is necessarily. It's almost seems frivolous, you know? Hmm. Yeah, but there's something very valuable in that you're just just the gathering together and sharing something, sharing an activity, mm-hmm. or even like going hiking or going <clears throat> on a trip together or something like that. There's something that we that we just kind of gain from that that togetherness. That I mean, I guess that's our, just our social there are social parts of us that that have to share and need to share in other people's right. Um, headspace and just space in general that that changes us i don't know yeah it's very true i mean we're social creatures and i think we've made this point many times that i think relationship is is somehow fundamental to the the meaning of the world Mm -hmm. and anytime you engage in something social you you experience that even in a frivolous game like you think about playing a game like you know, shoots and ladders or mm-hmm. guess who or whatever, with you. you know, a game that you play with your kids because they can play it. Yeah. And you think this is dumb. <clears throat> you know, there's no moral to this game. There's no, uh, you know, we're not learning deep truths here, but you do learn something, mm-hmm. you know, you, you learn what it means to win and lose, for example. And yeah. the, the amount of yourself that you see in the reflection of winning or losing is, is there's no other way to see it mm. than to do that. You, and, and especially to do it in the face of someone else yeah. and to see your win in the face of their loss or vice versa. Hmm, that's interesting. I think that happens at, you know, at dinner tables as well via conversation, although in a much more sort of sophisticated way, you know, if the conversation is intellectual at all, you kind of have a, a the, the dance of a very similar game going on. Hmm. Which is interesting because you can also see the unproductiveness of it whenever whenever people take things too personally or too, too seriously, like where they don't engage, they, they, they don't just engage the ideas. They engage the person as if it's like a, a a moral failing of the person where maybe that's just where they are at the time. And this is what they're thinking about. And you have to allow them to be where they are as they sort of like work through that idea. I think you were talking about this earlier with, um, some of the things that are in the media right now, it's like, and I think a lot of times I think I'm seeing this more on the democratic side, but it's like, you are not any, this is something you mentioned was, was like, you are immoral if you think this way. So it's like, you know, I think the, the voter IDs and stuff like that, it's like, it's a moral issue rather than, okay, Hey, we have to have some rules around this. What are the rules we're going to have? Okay. You think that we should have this. What about this? Yeah. My statement was or or observation was that it seems like 
the left in general has co-opted the idea of morality into their politics. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that they're just applying morality to their politics, not just applying morality to their politics. They've actually co-opted morality as a whole. Mm. Their politics are what is moral. And thus, if you are against their politics, you are immoral. Mm-hmm. And so you see all of these debates framed in very what I had thought were very strange ways, like the voter ID thing. Mm-hmm. You know, we pass a voter ID law, and the response is racists. Mm-hmm. And there's something in my head that's like, wait, what? Wait, I, I can understand there's plenty of reasons to be against voter ID that have nothing to do with racism. Yeah. Why would you make it about racism? And it seems like it's, I'm, I'm noticing the pattern that it's like everything on the left becomes about morality. Mm-hmm. It's not enough to simply say, I think that's too restrictive. Yeah. I think voting should be less restrictive, mm-hmm. which is not a moral argument. It's only a practical argument. Yeah. And, and one that you could make quite uh, credibly. But they've chosen to make everything about morality. Mm-hmm. There's something deeply annoying to me about <clears throat> it. Well, I think it's very reflective of like the religious religious mindset. Because I would say, like, um, I think you saw this more in conservatives in the early '80s and '90s. Like, they kind of took they kind of took that more moral, true, moral uh, um, high ground kind of thing, right? Uh, whether it was about movies or I just I just remember a lot of things when I was a kid. Is like it seemed like the Republicans were turning everything into a moral Mm -hmm. aspect. And it seems like it's kind of shifted now back over to the left. And I wonder if that's just kind of natural of like, (laughs) there's a sort of like check, you know, it's like now the, the conservatives are sort of the check to the, the morality of the left. And the left was like a check to the, the conservative morality of, you know, the earlier years. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I would, I would attempt at least attempt an alternative hypothesis, which has something more to do with a more recent sort of, uh, abdication of religion as a whole. Hmm. And so there's a, a, an an attempt, maybe a necessary attempt to integrate morality into a place that it wasn't, that it didn't used to be integrated. Hmm. Um, and I'll caveat this by saying like, I wasn't paying attention to politics till like two years ago. So I don't know, (laughs) but it seems like, the church had a more prominent um, stature in culture hmm. before maybe the early aughts. Yeah. And, and by the church, I don't mean even necessarily the Christian church or... Um, Mormon. Right. Yeah, whatever it might be. Yeah. I just mean the idea of a religious institution mm-hmm. that was held separate from sort of state and that was respected mm-hmm. whether you were in it or out of it it was sort of like okay that's where the moral discussions happen yeah and i imagine politics um converged around morality in ways in as much in as in as far as our shared politics entered the realm of our shared morality, Mm -hmm. which was again, anchored by the religious institutions. Um, but it seems like now the religious institutions are, are, are 
well, they don't have the stature anymore. Mm-hmm. And human beings are in need of morality. And so if we aren't looking to them to give it to us, even in some sort of like removed way, uh, then we have to create it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So voter ID becomes about morality because we need something to be about morality. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that shift. Uh, even the sovereign individual, he talks about that, like how the church, again, in general, with <clears throat> it was Catholic and Protestant at that time was like, they were the 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 leaders of what was morale what was morality you know and it's kind of shifted over the years into more of the political is de- is defining what is moral um i think that's something with our church forefather the church for our, our founding fathers was like trying to keep the church like church and state separately and i think there's something really ingenious about that about you know Government should be about policy. Okay, how right. should we best go about this? Right. And we can all differ in the way that we want to go about it, but, you know, well, I mean, I, there, there, is a, there is a certain amount of morality in, in politics, too. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not, a clean, it's not a clean cut. I don't think you can really make a... But it's really, I think, what has, what has a preference. Yeah. Well, I think the moral implications of policy used to be a bit more <clears throat> um, sort of left to the communities or the or the moral institutions to decide. Mm-hmm. But now the morality of policy is somehow primary. Yeah, and and policy is argued on the grounds of morality, mm-hmm. not on the grounds of practicality. Yeah, or even legitimacy. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of illegitimate policy that's argued on the grounds of morality. Well, it's also, it's, I think maybe even morality might be too strong of a word. I mean, it's, it's like, how is it, how, how can you convince somebody that your ideas are, are good? Like the easiest, the easiest way to do is persuade people emotionally. You know, I think that is something that if you can get somebody persuaded emotionally, it really does have so much more fuel to it it's like it burns it burns hotter and faster you know uh where if if you're talking about policy and how how best to implement it without the emotional arguments of like you know you're immoral or moral it's it's a little bit it it takes a lot more work because you have to recognize okay there's sort of give and takes here you know if we decide to use ids well it might be harder for lower income people to maybe get those. Maybe, you know, I'll, we'll make them free. Okay. Well, that's one way we can kind of make it more open to everybody, but somehow we but have you kind to of shut off all of that conversation when you just simply say, you know, if this, then that, and mm-hmm. then the, then that is that you're immoral. Yeah. So then w- the only thing to do about that is to stop being immoral. <laughs> it's, it's not to like, you know, um, relieve the difficulties that are uh manifesting the perceived differences no you're just stupid <laughs> right it's, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's like it's an ad hominem yeah uh-huh. it's an ad hominem yeah attack. it's middle school all over again <clears throat> it's sort of like i know you are right. but what am i well and it's a powerful way it's a powerful way to um sort of cudgel somebody over to your side 
mm-hmm. is to make their side look so untenable that they leave it voluntarily. Yeah. And that's sort of the ad hominem part about it or, um, in a strange way. And that's not the exact right use of that term. Yeah. Hyperbole. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Semi. I'm off on the, (laughs) (laughs) but it is, I mean, it's like, how can I convince somebody no matter what? It's like, you have to use a strong, that strong sort of emotional language to, to convince people. And not that emotional language is bad, but it needs to have some sort of, it doesn't really invite dialogue whenever you say, you know, you're immoral. If you don't think what I, what I believe is right. 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 Well, maybe there's something wrong with the original, um, the original position though. Like if your position is how can I convince someone? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that you are, well, you're not entering a discussion. Mm -hmm. You're entering a debate. Yeah. And debates aren't relational. Mm -hmm. Discussions are. Okay, I I, th- I think I, I think I kind of I might agree with you. There's there's a little bit of a like I do find it if I can because a debating scenario is is helpful in one way and not helpful in another. So like like I need to bring bring an argument <coughs> to you in the best way that I can and lay it out on the table, you know. And I need to, I need to defend that tooth and nail, but I'm really expecting you to put holes in it, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to fight that. You know, it's like where there's, I think the, and that, I think that's a good faith argument. Right. And a a debate as a tool Mm -hmm. is, is successfully used when both sides learn something. Yeah. Like the successful scenario isn't one side changes their mind. Mm Mm-hmm. The successful scenario is that both sides change their mind a little bit hmm. because they've learned something and it's not about being convinced. It's about learning. What about where that, that breaks down? You know, it's like, uh, you know, I think of like, like Nazi Germany or something like that, that like one, one party might be acting in good faith and is willing to sort of concede to the other and say, okay, I'm going to hear you out. But really what they're trying, what, what the other party is doing is they're just bringing you closer and closer to their way of viewing things. Mm-hmm. Like they're not really interested in meeting you halfway. Right. They're more interested in bringing you to their, their way of seeing things. Well, the word propaganda comes into my mind. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about a conversation, I think it was between, uh, John Vervecki and Jordan Peterson, in which they talked about the interesting difference between an icon and an idol. Hmm. Hmm. And so an idol, you should not have idols, right? Yeah. Biblically speaking, but there are icons, which you should have like mm-hmm. of Jesus or mother Mary or whatever. Yeah. You know, what's the difference? It's super subtle. Mm-hmm. Like they're both effigies. They're both images yeah. They're both, um, you know, maybe statues. They are both in one sense worshiped and admired. Mm-hmm. So why is one so forbidden and the other not? And there's a difference. And I think Vervecki says, 
well, art is an icon. Propaganda is an idol. Hmm. There's a subtle difference there. And what is the difference between an icon and an idol? What is the difference between art and propaganda? Yeah. And I think the difference is that art seeks to share, to enlighten. Mm -hmm. Propaganda seeks to convince and manipulate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if one side is strictly trying to convince you to be convinced of their rightness, Mm -hmm. there's something idolatrous about that. Hmm. I mean, art doesn't try to convince you of its rightness. Yeah. I guess art in its truest sense, or, or so it seems is it invites you into an experience. Mm Mm-hmm. But it, it allows you to come willingly. Yeah, and it kind of said, I mean, of good art sort of says, I don't really give a damn if you like it or not, <laughs> or uh, if you come or yeah. not. It's uh, like, doors open. Yeah. Or propaganda is something that you're trying to surround somebody with to allow them to not even engage anything that's outside of what that propaganda is trying to mm. entice and if, you and if you, Yeah. And if you do engage anything outside of it, then the propaganda will judge you as being mm. immoral. Immoral. Yeah. That's interesting. I wonder if that ties back to what we're talking about with maybe, that, maybe that's too soon, but cause you do see that, that idea of that propaganda, but it's like whenever you're engaged in good faith argument, it's like you're, you're kind of, in, we're, we're inviting each other into <clears throat> a shared experience of something that's greater than you and I together. But in propaganda, it's, it's more of a convincing into a determined viewpoint and result that you're wanting to achieve by. Right. <clears throat> you will come to the same conclusion. Otherwise mm-hmm. you don't get to play here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, which is, I think, why propaganda is an idol. Because the idol dictates to you the way that you should be, the way that things should be. Mm-hmm. The things that you must do at the idol's feet. Yeah. Art and icons don't do that exactly. Mm-hmm. What's us? I mean, I think that's one thing, too, is like, if you think your, your work should be political, you know... Um, you know, the workplace should be political and somebody else thinks, Hey, you know what? No, the workplace doesn't have to be political. Like we're here to achieve a, a, a certain job, you know, whether mm-hmm. it be, Hey, we're going to serve our customers. You know, that, that's kind of what we're about. And not that it can't be political and that's, that's the way that you, you can approach it. But, but, but whenever people say that your workplace should be political and stand for certain politics, Oh, wow. I just saw something in my mind when you said that, because like, I've been very perplexed by my job's, uh, mandate of the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And again, again, I'll just point out that this happened before Biden came out and gave his, you know, sort of legally dubious mandate through OSHA to mandate, uh, vaccinations for employers with a hundred or more employees, uh, that my company mandated before that. So I was perplexed by it because not just they mandated the vaccine, but it was, you have to get the vaccine or you're fired period. No testing option, no natural immunity option, no 
any other option. It's just like, that's that. And I thought, what is this about? And I think you kind of just gave me the answer. I see. And I think it's that, I think generally we know that politics have no business in the workplace, Mm -hmm. at least not at an organized level. Yeah. You know, obviously we all talk politics at the office, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like water cooler talk, but at an organized official level, I don't think any of us, we all know that's not going to serve anybody very well. Yeah. But if you make the move to make politics about morality, Hmm. well, does morality have business in the workplace? Yes, Mm. absolutely. Totally. And if politics is morality, then morality is politics. And so the move to to mandate the vaccine is a political move, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's entered through the door of morality. Yeah. And I just saw that so clearly just now. Mm -hmm. So that's why there's no other option because this is the moral thing to do. And it's the moral thing to do as dictated through politics. Yeah. And politics are dictating morality now. Which is so easy to come into that mindset. Like, you know, even just in that sense, it's like, you know, oh, so you don't really care about other people. Exactly. And that's the way that's been presented, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather than taking into the the multivariate analysis of what is vaccines and coronavirus and antibodies Mm -hmm. and all the things that kind of go into that. The actual science. (laughs) Yeah. Not the science, the actual science. Yeah. (laughs) Well, maybe that's why it perplexes me so much because they say we're mandating the vaccine because we care about your safety. And I think, oh, it's not about safety. Yeah. Because there's plenty of other ways for you to make this safe. Mm -hmm. You're choosing this one specific way and only this way for a specific reason. And I think that reason is the intersection of morality and politics. I think too, I think corporations right now believe because I think we're seeing, I mean, the mainstream media is definitely like, is definitely more left leaning. And, uh, I think that's why, you know, specifically being Austin, I, I kind of seek out conservative voices because I hear so much of the left side of things. Um, but it, I think large corporations think that everybody or most people have that viewpoint, but I think it's not correct. I don't think they're seeing things correctly, but that the, the noise making machine, not the information making <laughs> machine, the noise making machine is what's the noise making machine. <laughs> it's the media, the media. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's, they're all saying the same thing. You know, they're not challenging, uh, you know, they're not challenging Biden the way they challenged Trump, you know, which is, which is absolutely fascinating. You know, it's like, which I'm, I'm, I was, I was glad in some respects that they were, they challenged Trump, but at the same time, they kind of were overly challenging to Trump or they're underly challenging to Biden. And it's, and it seems very obvious. And part of me is like, how can you guys not see this? Like, like how this is playing out where, you know, Biden says a lot of these crazy things like Trump said, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but like, he's not being challenged. 
in the same way that Trump was challenged. Well, <clears throat> it's not seen as crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I saw... Uh, So, you know, last year before the election and Trump was saying there was going to be a vaccine mm-hmm. and the entire media apparatus was saying he's out of his mind. There's not going to be a vaccine. No way is there going to be a vaccine. And then the media was like, what if there is a vaccine? And everyone came out, like all the blue checks on Twitter came out saying, we will never, ever take a vaccine that's approved by this president. Mm-hmm. You know, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward three months and all those same accounts are saying, you know, get vaccinated immediately. Mm-hmm. And then now they're all saying vaccine mandates. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so there's these accounts that will like compile, you know, their these people's tweets from like, you know, uh, 10 months ago till now or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and just to show the, uh, the change of position. <clears throat> um, and so somebody grabbed one of these and responded, uh, so, so if that's how it works, that you don't have to take the vaccine if you don't trust the man in charge under the vaccine, that while the vaccine's you know being rolled out or whatever, then it's, a, it's okay not to take it? Because <laughs> so I can just say I don't trust Joe Biden and I don't have to take the vaccine? <laughs> but then it comes back to the science. <laughs> right, right, right. But that's the thing is like, if you are, if you take a political position that claims morality... Mm-hmm. which it's going to be in with in now that morality is no longer the sole purview of religion. It's now a part of science too mm-hmm. and discovered via science. Um, and if you take the position of, of that morality, then you kind of get to win all the arguments, <laughs> even if you're contradictory. Uh-huh. Yeah. As long so as- it's like you were right to not take it under Trump because you're a good moral person who believes the science. Mm-hmm. You're not right to not take it under Biden because, and, and I can, and, and the, this certain person can judge that because you're a good moral person under the auspices of morality and science. Mm-hmm. Well, even like you were saying earlier today is like, you know, like value, like, like science doesn't really, teach us about value. I mean, we were talking Mm, about abortion mm -hmm. earlier, like, you know, just like when is a baby, a baby? It's like, it's like, well, the science just tells us like, here's how it works. You know, science can't make value judgments. "Mm -hmm." Yeah. That's what we do is like, Oh, well at conception, that's whenever there's a baby. Well, science doesn't say that science just says like, this happens at this point, heartbeats happen at this point, you know, at this point, all these they're fully formed in their limbs or something like that. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. but we have to make the value judgment of when does it matter? When does it matter? Where is life? Yeah. Or even like, even just our value of like just describing life in general, you know, it's like, um, it, whether, even when you're talking about the, somebody dying, you know, it's like, you know, is it, is it okay to, to let somebody go before maybe they're, they're, going to expire naturally, you know, it's like, is this, is it, are they at a point in their life where it's, it's more painful for them to be alive than to be, to, than to die. Right. And, and we make, we make this different value judgments r- regularly uh-huh. as it pertains to death. You know, if it's a pet, 
mm-hmm. or a parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're the ones that, you know, science is no different in either case mm-hmm. in terms of like death. Yeah. Your cat has cancer. Probably euthanize it. Yeah. And it's uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but we're all okay with it. Yeah. Like it doesn't say like, because your cat has cancer, you need to kill your cat. Science doesn't say that. Uh-uh. No. Yeah. Science just tells you what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. But it's as up, it's up to know. us to make a value judgment on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess that's the other thing is like science, because science can't make value judgments, it can't make moral judgments either. Mm-hmm. Science has to be used by morality, mm-hmm. used by a valuing judging mind. Yeah. So almost if you, if you hear the, I wonder if this, I wonder if this is true. Like, like here is a statement of morality because the science says so. I almost can't think of a, uh, a, 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 a instance where that would not be true or that, that, that is not true. Like science cannot, cannot, dictate morality in any instance. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the way that it would be used now is, um, so I had someone say to me, you know, I, I lost someone, uh, via COVID. Mm-hmm. And if he had been vaccinated, that wouldn't have happened. And I thought, and I think that instance had happened before the vaccines had come out. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The statement, the claim is this person died. If he had, va- had been vaccinated, that wouldn't have happened. That is conflating science and morality by saying science says that the vaccines prevent death. And so if he had gotten the vaccine, he wouldn't have died. Moral judgment on him, or at least on you who I'm telling the story. Mm-hmm. But, and my response was, you can't do that. You can't make that claim because you don't know. Yeah. Don't you are know claiming moral, to know though. something you don't know. I don't think, I don't know if morality comes to that one. No, no. I mean, but the, but the vaccines and, Masks and lockdowns, all of COVID policy has been couched in morality. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. my point. Okay, yeah, on top, on top of that, yeah. Because I was thinking like... So you if know, you don't do the thing the science says, then you're immoral because you're going to kill people. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you definitely see that sort of, that sort of argument of... Well, I guess... Well, I guess I more see it because, like, at the time, vaccines weren't available. And so, like, it was more of, like, a hopefulness that the vaccine would be a, would have prevented this. Like, the person wasn't immoral or moral because they took it, didn't take it or take it. Well, and in that example, I don't know. I don't know when that Mm. happened. That's not part of the point I'm making. The point I'm making is that we are using COVID policy which we are saying is science mm-hmm. to make moral judgments. Well, I even feel it too. It's like my dad, it's like, you know, he died of COVID. 
And I, I just always feel like I have to say, but he was vaccinated, you know, because if he wasn't vaccinated, it would have been his fault. Right. <clears throat> and so it's, it's really fascinating. And Which it, is another just horrible misstep we've done as a mm-hmm. society is to blame people who die. Yeah. Well, it really sucks. I mean, cause it, I mean, it's really, I mean, you know, I, I don't know. It's a weird part of me. It's I'm thankful that that was a part of his, his story is like, no, he was vaccinated. So then people could actually like actually mourn him, actually you know? mourn him. Yeah. Seriously. Because yeah. it's like, other than that, it's, just, it's more of like, Oh, well he's one of those people, you know, <laughs> probably put horse paste up his butt. Didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> totally. But that's where it's come to. It's sort of like, we've, we've, but that's the moral thing. That's the uh-huh. moral runoff. Of yeah. this, of this scientific or this confluence of science and morality. Mm-hmm. He died. Well, you know, did he trust the science? Yeah. Yes, he did. Oh, well, that's tragedy. Yeah. But if he didn't, well, he, he probably deserved to die. Probably deserved to die. Exactly. You know, he got, it what he, got what he was asking for. Uh-huh. Because <clears throat> he was irresponsible. He was praying to the wrong God. Mm-hmm. I think that it just really bothers me. And I, I, I do see it within myself as like, I'm really thankful for that. He had, and I, and again, I think in his instance, like he, sh- he should have gotten, I mean, he did get the vaccine, but I think specifically that was like a really good decision for him to do that. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm really glad he did do that because he fits, <clears throat> he fits that whole category, you know, mm-hmm. of age and right. all the other stuff. So it made sense according to what, you know, science was proposing at the time, you know? Uh, according to your value judgment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, you know, we're, what we're seeing that this, this virus is, is, has a greater impact on people over 55. Here's something that could probably give you a better chance mm-hmm. is basically what science was saying. You know, is there any, do you feel like there's any moral morality in that? In that statement? No. Okay. So it, it gives you, it, it, this will give you a better chance of, if yeah. you did come, come and that's your it. interpretation. Mm-hmm. And I happen to agree with that interpretation, Yeah, but I don't think that that's what's being sold. No, 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 no. That's definitely not what's being sold. What's being sold is moral. Mm-hmm. What's being sold isn't, you should get the vaccine to protect your health. Mm-hmm. What's being sold is you should get the vaccine because that's what a good citizen does who doesn't want to kill other people. Yeah. Totally. And that's where I start having a major issue with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's really broad. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, I think we're just, we've just like through this last year and a half, it's like, we've dealt with so many unknowns and, uh, and so, so part of me kind of like, is understanding for people like wanting to latch on to something, you know, um, right, I, right. Uh, a friend of mine, he made this observation, uh, like he doesn't really believe in God or, or a higher power or that you that kind of stuff. But he was just sort of like, um, again, I don't put labels on him, but I, I'm trying to kind of paint the picture of sort of like, he's not a religious person, you know, uh, in whatever, whatever that means. And the observation that he made is like, he's, 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 he saw that people that had some sort of religious beliefs 
had a different perspective than those who didn't. Um, and that those who didn't have some sort of religious beliefs were a lot more fearful and saw this as golly, mm-hmm. I can't like, I can't put my finger on it. So like, you know, so people with religious beliefs have some sort of idea that there's a higher power or that they're going to go somewhere when they die or right. that, <clears throat> that there's more to this world than just flesh, blood, sex, reprocreation, and mm-hmm. you're, you're gone, you know? And he, he just kind of made the observation that he seemed like those, the people that had some sort of belief in something, a higher power of some sort, seem to be not as fearful as those who, who were. And I think that kind of goes back to our conversation about politics and religion is whenever your politics become your religion, it's like you have to tote the party line, the dogma of whatever that might be. Hmm. And so, and there's a lot of fear that's around not complying to what the group says is, is good and what is, Right. What is moral? Um. Yeah, if if you are a religious person, then your worldview is: I'm not too worried about Corona because I'm not too worried about much of anything because it's outside of my control. Mm-hmm. It's in God's hands. Mm-hmm. So whether I get Corona and die or not isn't up to me. It's up to God. So whether or not you have it <clears throat> or you don't, or you're vaccinated or you're not like what you think that matters to God. So it's fine. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you don't believe in God, then whether, then all those things suddenly matter. And so public policy really matters mm-hmm. and morality gets tied really quickly to public policy because your life depends on it. Mm-hmm. And I can see how in a society that loses God also loses freedom hmm. because as long as there is God, I'm free to leave you alone hmm. because you don't control my destiny and you don't control my life. God does. Oh, that's fascinating. Like it's, it's separated far enough outside of culture that, you know, I don't really care what my neighbor does so long as it's not <clears throat> like manifestly affecting me. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there is no God, then everything that everyone does manifestly affects me mm-hmm. and it is all life or death. And so it's all moral and it, I don't know how that doesn't become totalitarian immediately. Well, I think that's, there, there's, there's kind of an argument here in this direction of why sort of Western ideals ideals have been so successful in propagating over the years is that like, uh, let's use Christianity for example, is like, is like, I am not defined by my state or my nation. Like I'm a part of something that is greater than this nation, but being in this nation is a part of who I am, but it's not who I am. Mm-hmm. And like, that's, that's defined specifically in Christianity. Um, in Islam, it's, there's a little bit more of a, a state and but a kind of a both and in that right. there's not as much of a, but I know in Christianity specifically is sort of like, like, um, 
like we are not of this world. Like our, Jesus talks about like being in the world, but not of the world. And so there's a sort of like otherworldliness that we are a part of. Um, and so it kind of gives you, you're able to separate yourself from the state in that sense. It's like, okay, hey, we're going to live within this realm together. So we're going to have this state and this politics. But I'm, out, I'm, I'm functioning as if I'm outside of that. And so I'm not, I'm not completely, those things don't define me. They're an aspect of mm-hmm. me. Right. And I think that was a part of like why the, at the beginning there's a, there's a division between church and state too, is like the state has a, a role and that role is to bring some sort of cohesion among different people of different beliefs and ways of thinking. But once that, once that becomes the primary rather than the subject subjective or sub subjugate subjugated uh like that the 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 politics or the state should serve the individuals not the other way the individuals should not serve the state and i feel Mm -hmm. like there's that inverse Mm -hmm. happening right now where it's like we as individuals must serve the state where i think what was intended by Western ideals is more the government serves us. Individuals serve their God. Mm-hmm. Government serves the individual. Exactly. So in the order of like priorities, it's like for any individual, it should be something like God, spouse, children, nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And anytime you have an inversion where the nation asserts itself over any of those three things. Mm -hmm. That's where you get something that looks like authoritarianism. Yeah. Whether that be, um, fascism or communism or totalitarianism. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's a hard thing too, is like, cause you can even substitute God for truth or, a higher power or whatever it might be something that, well, and I think that worked in the way that the original founding documents of our country were framed. Mm -hmm. It's like, it wasn't a particular God. It was God. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that could be truth could be a higher power. It could be enlightenment or, um, a specific, you know, monotheistic God. It's like whatever you choose to put there, the value structure holds. Mm hmm. Yeah, but once you start moving politics into that position, mm-hmm. it's like, I think that's where you start getting into that. And you see that in religion too, is like where, you know, you see this in a lot of different denominations or in also religions is that the dogma takes the, takes the, uh, the higher rung than the deity or the, the ideal that you're, mm, that you're, right. that you're shooting to. And every time that happens, in a religion, there's always a fragmentation and people split off, whether it's Catholicism True. with, with, uh, with the Protestants. And then even within Protestants, you have Baptists, Methodists. It's like, at some point we turn our, our higher powers, or our belief systems into a dogma or a politic. And then it just ends up strangling us. So we become slaves to a, a dogma that we we wanted to give us freedom, but it actually just enslaves us. Hmm. 
I don't know. It's really fascinating. Like it's like we have to, we have to serve a higher truth, a higher power, a a higher, it has to be above politics. Politics can't be moral. I think politics can, can guide our morality, but politics cannot be our morality. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, it, it seems like we have to serve something that is somehow sufficiently Mm ill-defined. I mean, you look at the Christian God and and what is his name? I am that I am, Mm -hmm. you know, and other versions of that. Yeah. What does he look like? A burning bush. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he's sufficiently ill-defined. And I think the reason that you need that, it has something to do with, you know, we made this point when we were talking about mission statements, like you, you need your mission statement to be sufficiently broad that you never actually accomplish it. Mm -hmm. Cause if you accomplish it, then you're in real trouble. (laughs) Cause then what do you do? You know, this is the, this is the problem with a lot of the, um, the, the civil rights groups, they accomplish their goal. Then what do they do? Mm -hmm. They have nothing left to do and they become perverted really quickly. Yeah. So God needs to be, sufficiently out of your grasp. Mm-hmm. You need to serve something which is sufficiently out of your grasp, you know, in part so that you don't ever run out of something to do. And also in part, because we are divine individuals. We are capable of more than we know we're capable of. And we'll never, we will never express what we're capable of if we set the bar too low. Like we need the bar to be sufficiently out of our grasp so that we can become the best that we can be. Well, I think that's interesting. Like you even think about how Jesus talks about like the, the two commandments that summarize all the laws and the prophets, like love the Lord, your God with all your heart and with all your mind, and with all your soul and labor, I uh, love your late, <laughs> love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> okay. Love your, love your neighbor, <laughs> love, love your neighbor as yourself. It's like, those are two sufficiently higher goals that are not, you will never accomplish. Yeah. They're sufficiently broad. They're Yeah. Sufficiently broad. You'll never be done. Mm -mm. You'll never succeed. Yeah. You will succeed only by succeeding every day Mm -hmm. and not stopping. Yeah. And that's what, that's what we all need Mm -hmm. because we can all be so much more than we know we're capable of. Mm hmm so long as we set a bar high enough to, to coax us into that, yeah, to bring that out of us. And I think that's why putting morality, attaching morality to, to politics and policy will never be sufficient because that's an incredibly low bar. I mean, policy and politics is the lowest of all bars. Yes. And should, and should be treated as such. Yeah. It's sort of like, okay, well, <laughs> as far as what we know right now, we're going to put these things in place, but you know what? They're going to change. Right. It has to be malleable. And I feel like we all, we used to all know that it's like the government is incompetent. <laughs> uh-huh. And then at some point you learn enough about government to, to, and you learn, oh, it was designed that way on purpose. And you think, oh God, Why? And then you learn was designed that way on purpose because otherwise it becomes totalitarian. Mm -hmm. Otherwise it becomes 
perverse and malevolent. Yeah. You're like, oh, well, thank God. That's a great idea. Like, let's hobble government so that they don't become too powerful. Mm-hmm. You know, let's make them incompetent on purpose. This is what checks and balances are all about. Like, let's yeah. make it really hard to get shit done. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, and the fruit of that is that you get the lowest of all bars. Mm-hmm. And we all get to lean on those and go be individuals and be fantastic and flourish. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. Yeah, you definitely and, see right now it's like they're, uh, it's like we're trying to make politics and policy the highest. Yes. Well, like this this Hogan woman who's testifying to Congress um about Facebook, this quote unquote whistleblower. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, go for it. I don't I don't want to get too far into it cuz it's so uh, it's so ridiculous. You know, but this woman is basically saying, you know, we need a government body to regulate Facebook and the things that are allowed to be posted <coughs> on Facebook. And I actually tweeted today. <laughs> I was like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, I think she's right. I would probably use Facebook a lot more if I knew that the government was deciding what was in my newsfeed. <laughs> I'm like, how do we not all see how obnoxiously <laughs> stupid this is? Yeah. Nobody wants the government telling you which you, what you get to look at. Yeah. Nobody wants that. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's easy to see because it's like, it depends on who's in power. Like I want the government to do this because the people that I, I believe in are in power. So I want everybody to only see the information that I, well, and the, the nest, the, the necessary, necessary component of that argument has to do with morality. Mm-hmm. If government is the power that can keep immoral people from doing immoral things, then yes, mm-hmm. government should be at the top of Facebook. Mm-hmm. But morality has no place there. Mm-hmm. And government has no place in our like free market in deciding what I get to see and what I get to listen to, what I get to look at. It's like, when has that ever worked ever? Never. I mean, <laughs> I apartheid states, like uh-huh. they always fail. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, we, we all like some of, I think culture's favorite documentaries are about this shit. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, what was that? Uh, sugar man documentary. Oh, I won't even get into it, but it's like, if you like life and you like art and you like, you know, anything punk rock at all, which you all do, mm-hmm. <laughs> Just say fuck the government and let's move on with the day. Uh, yeah. So I, I went two two directions there. One was uh uh oh fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Rage against the machine, you know. Right. It's like yeah, yeah. We, we we hit that in another podcast, but yeah. it's like yeah. And that's the spirit you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you find yourself saying I really think we need the government to be telling us what to do. Then yeah. Take a second. Drink a beer. <laughs> and consider <laughs> consider what you know about the government and decide is this really the entity that you yeah. want telling you what to do? Yeah, that's I just don't know if we we are we too far away from all those instances of the past, you know, are we too insulated from governments that are in this situation right now, like Venezuela or 
you know, uh, China. Like I, I, that's, that's something that I'm really fascinated because as we're talking about this, I'm like, Oh, wow. China has been under this sort of thumb for a long time. As far as like the government tells them what they can hear, listen, right. do. Uh, and we used to think that was atrocious. Mm-hmm. Control our money controls mm-hmm. social media. But actually, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm kind of curious. Okay. There's, there's three things here. Okay. One is Western countries have forgotten what they stand for and what they, where they have come from and are almost asking for the government to tell them what to do and when to do it. Uh, then you have places like China that have lived under this for a long time. And I wonder if there's not something that will come out of that. That's actually beautiful as far as like people rising up and changing that system. And then the third part is places that are underdeveloped that haven't had the burden of those extremes have an opportunity that's even greater than both. Hmm. Totally. Does that make sense? Yeah. So maybe if you want to invest yourself or start looking for where the next art scene is or the next startup scene is over the next several decades, look to the countries who haven't developed into these problems yet. Yeah. Or the ones that are already like, I would say China has, is ripe for something to happen. Amazing. And I would say places like El Salvador, I think El Salvador right now with what they've done with Bitcoin says a lot. I think there's something that they don't have the baggage of where the West has sort of begun to falter, but they have some of the benefits of that, but they also have the reality of what, shit life is like, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, those countries are beautiful. So I'm not saying anything about the countries, but like, it's been really, it's been really hard for a lot of central South American countries. You know, it's like, as far as like we live in a, in a nation that no one here knows what shit life is. No, like. uh, no. And no, we don't really understand what disparities is. We're talking about Jeff Bezos versus, me or somebody who makes $60,000 a year or whatever it might be, $30,000 a year. It's like, that's not the same as those other countries. Mm-hmm. Like our, our poverty level is what most of those countries live in. Right. So anyways, that's a long, <laughs> <clears throat> all right. <laughs> I think it's a good place to leave us. On. I think so. Yeah. I'm, you did. I'm actually you're, surprised you're we made it this far. Where'd the cloud go? Man? <laughs> it's there. It's I there. Have, I don't really know where we've been tonight. I feel like you still did it though. I'm I think so. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Thanks. I'm proud of you. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks for coming along on my COVID brain journey. The cloudy shores with the Matt cloudy shores. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Love you all. See Bye. You guys.